Amen. Stories of the kingdom. Uh, we're finishing up a series today, and I'm going to be talking just more about the life of Jesus as we go into January. Uh, welcome to church. First day, 2023. Again, uh, if you joined us online, thank you for watching. I hope you had a wonderful New Year's Eve. Hopefully, you got some decent rest, even if you did stay up to see the ball drop. Uh, we, I did not. This first year, I don't know, since I was old enough to do it, that I did not stay up to see the ball drop. I had church this morning. Wasn't feeling 100%, so I went to bed, or I tried to. There was fireworks in my neighborhood. So, uh, you know, I, will, I was telling somebody earlier that we live in Boise now, and uh, Boise's a little less redneck than CUNA, and there was way more fireworks than CUNA last year. I'll just say that. <laughs> Pastor Chase is still in CUNA. He, he feels what I'm saying. Um, I want to say thank you to all of you who came out to church on Christmas Eve. Uh, I trust that all of you, whether you came or whether you didn't, you were able to... Uh, value your time uh, with your family. And I understand, of course, if you weren't able to make it. But we had a wonderful time together on the 24th. We sang, read the Christmas story, gave out candy canes, talked about Jesus. Uh, once again, thank you those of you that came to honor Patrick, if you knew him a couple Fridays ago. Uh, he leaves a hole in our church that will not be easily filled, a hole in our lives that won't be easily filled. And, uh, but for all things, there is a season, and the Lord gets to decide them. I don't usually like it when he decides. But he gets to decide. We know he's with Jesus today. And the, the family, I know, is just blessed by each of you that came and prayed and gave and loved on them. So thank you for doing that. Uh, Anita's on a trip, like I said earlier, with uh, Paul and Sharito, several others, the trip that they had already had planned. Um, and I just encourage you, continue to lift Anita up in prayer uh, as often as you think of her. On behalf of all of our staff, I want to say thank you so much for your cards and your gifts uh, in the uh, month of December. I uh, was so generous of you. I know for Chandra and I, we're just grateful to be a part of this church, um, a part of this family. Uh, like we say all the time, we believe if we love the family, we can change the world. And we're so glad to be a part of loving the family, changing the world with you this moment today. Uh, if I've never met you, I'd love to shake your hand afterwards. My name is John. I'm the pastor here. And uh, it's great to be here with you today. Uh, we are back to normal schedule this week. So we had no church last Wednesday at 7 p.m., but this Wednesday... We will. 7 p.m. we'll have church. Uh, looking forward to an incredible 2023. Can't wait to see what God has in store for our church, for each of us personally. And uh, thank you for being here. It's way more fun to do life and do church alongside you. It's no fun to do by yourself. Uh, if you remember, clear back on December 4th, we were in part three of this series that I'm calling The Habits of a Believer. Now, that was a while ago, almost a month ago, uh, when we did part three. Uh, we took a break, though, for some important stuff. We welcomed our new youth, young adult pastor, Chase and Hannah, on the 11th. Uh, we devoted the 18th to Christmas. We had kids beating drums and playing bells and all kinds of things here on, uh, on that Sunday. Um, and that leads us to this morning in the conclusion of our series, The Habits of a Believer. Uh, the idea for this, it was sparked by this book I read a while back, a couple years ago, called The Sacred Chase by the guy named Heath Adamson. I brought it for you today just because I want you to see it. Um, you should go on Amazon or everybody books and buy it. It's an awesome book. Um, it's just a couple of pages at the very end that sparked this idea in my heart. I wrote them down a couple years ago and thought I would love to speak on them sometime. So here we are. And our premise has been that there were certain habits, certain things Jesus did when he was on this earth uh, that exemplified uh, what a believer looked like. 
And if we propose that if we're going to be Christians, if we are going to be Christ followers, disciples of Christ, then we would do well to emulate the habits of Jesus while he was on earth. We're going to cover the final two habits today, and then uh, next week we're going to be talking about uh, the parables uh, for the rest of January. We're going to cover the final two habits today, but just for reference, since it was a really long time ago, I just want to go over the, the first six habits of a believer uh, exemplified by Jesus on earth we've covered so far. They're going to pop up on the screen for you. You can write them down as you go through. Uh, week one, we talked about how Jesus welcomed questions and he embraced truth. Jesus was not afraid to ask questions, but he also embraced the truth. Week two, we talked about how Jesus submitted to authority and he created a spiritual rhythm in his life. Uh, we're going to touch on that here in a little bit, how he went to church. Week three, which was December 4th, we talked about how Jesus made scripture a priority and he knew the difference between proximity and intimacy with God. So if you're looking for more details on that, if it sounds interesting, you'll have to go catch the podcast. You can find that on uh, Google Podcasts and Spotify and Apple Podcasts, or you can find the YouTube channel. All of it is there. You can find links to all that stuff on our website. Uh, but I have to admit something. Uh, it, sound, it seems like I planned it really well to end this, this series, The Habits of a Believer, on January 1st when we all talk about making new habits. And I did not plan it that way. <laughs> didn't plan it that way uh, on, to end it on the day that we talk about habits the most. That's just another example of how much smarter God is than me. Uh, but if you were here the first uh, week of 2022, you should have received uh, uh, a card like this in the mail. Uh, what we did last year is we, we wrote some hopes and dreams down. We put them in an envelope. I had you write your address on it. And if you wrote your address correctly, it showed up in the mail this week. If you didn't, Pastor Wendy has it for you. She'll give it to you today. Uh, I know writing, actually writing your address on an envelope is kind of a lost art. Um, what these were, they were not really New Year's resolutions, uh, but they were more like, like I said, hopes and dreams for the new year. Uh, now, we actually changed houses uh, we moved in the middle of the year, so Pastor Wendy handed me mine when I got here this morning. And honestly, I did not remember what I, I didn't even remember if I actually did it. Like, I remembered that we did it, but I didn't remember if I actually wrote on a card, put it in here. And you should have received one when you came in this morning, because we're going to do the same thing in a little bit. But I opened it this morning, and there was two things having to do with my family, and one thing that had to do with the church, and only one of them had any kind of, like, empirical measure. Anything you could actually write down as to whether it happened or whether it didn't. And the rest had to do with my mindset and my heart, with the mindset of my family, the heart of my family. And we'll do this at the end again today, and I just want to encourage you to think along those lines. Not necessarily I want to lose X amount of pounds, although if you want to do that, of course that's great. Want to exercise X amount of days, of course that's great. But I want to encourage you to think along lines of hopes and dreams. That you, things you hope the Lord will do, things that you need God's help for those to happen. You can't do them on your own. As we move into the new year, I was thinking, though, about why, why do we make such a big deal out of January 1st? And I think the reason is because all of us, uh, we all have this hope in our hearts that we would like to be better. We all want to be better than we were before. We want to be, hopefully, if we know the Lord, we want to be better Christians. Hopefully, if we are married, we want to be better spouses. We want to be better parents. We want to be better artists. We want to be better athletes. We want to be better, want to be better musicians. So we make these grandiose plans, and we make these resolutions, and we make these crazy goals. But the truth is that we can say 
whatever we like. But our habits are the proof of who we really are. Right? We can say whatever we want. We can write down whatever we want. But our habits are the proof of who we really are. It's kind of like uh, our habits are kind of like an ID card. Right? Now, I could come stand before you today, and this would be real, real obvious it's not true, but I can stand before you to say, tell you my name is Stephen Curry. Play for the Golden State Warriors. I'm the best shooter in the history of the NBA. About the only thing we have in common is that we're short. Oh, he's, he's like 6'3". He's short for the NBA. I could tell you all day, I'm Steph Curry. I could go mimic his shooting motion. I'll never shoot as well as him, but I could mimic his motion. I could do anything I want to. But I can never prove that I'm actually him because I will never have his social security card that says Stephen Curry, whatever his social security number is. I'll never have his driver's license. And our habits are kind of like that ID card. You can say whatever you want to, but your habits are kind of like the thing that say you are who you say you are. Now, I think I have this on the screen. Our words can outline a picture of what we hope to be, but the proof comes in whether or not we color inside those lines. The proof is in whether or not we live out that change that we talk about. Whether we establish a habit or not over the course of time, it depends on dozens or maybe even hundreds of decisions that we make each day. For example, I wrote down here, uh, taking better care of your teeth. I think I think of this one because my dad's a dentist and my whole family besides me this week had dentist appointments. I, mine are different. I always go uh, to the dentist at uh, 12 p.m., three or four times a year to get my teeth cleaned and my dad and I go to lunch at 1 p.m. We have this routine we do. I go get my teeth cleaned at 12 and then we go to flying pie. It's just what we do. <clears throat> but if you decide I'm gonna take better care of my teeth and most all of us would say I should take better care of my teeth, right? You, the decision isn't made uh, every night when you, when you go to brush your teeth. The decision's made way before that, right? You gotta have a decent toothbrush. If you're gonna take good care of your teeth, you have to decide not to use the same toothbrush for 24 months straight. If you're going to take better care of your teeth, you have to do the thing that none of us do very well, probably, and that is floss. Right? The dentist asks you that question, have you been flossing? And you probably floss that day so you could say yes and not be lying, right? <laughs> we got to think about how often we're going to brush our teeth. We actually going to brush in the morning and at night. We got to think, am I actually going to go to the dentist as often as they recommend? If I'm going to take better care of my teeth, what are the tons of decisions leading up to it that I'm going to have to do? Now, each of you should have had on your seat uh, this piece of paper with some suggestions on it for the coming year. Um, this is a list I've mostly borrowed from one of my friends, Adam Cook, at another church. Um, I kind of edited it and tweaked it. Um, and all of these, uh, they are worthy ideas that sit somewhere inside the broader habits of our lives. They could, I guess, be resolutions, but these are just ideas that sit inside of our habits. And I really think all of these could fit inside these eight habits of Jesus uh, that we're studying. And I just have it there as something you can put in front of you. I encourage you, put it in your Bible as a bookmark. Uh, if it means something to you, tape it up on your mirror, stick it on the dash of your car. I hope these things can help you kickstart a life um, that has the habits of, believer, of a believer that we've been talking about. Uh, so just take it, make it a part of your thing if you want to. I know I knew there wouldn't be someone in every seat today, but we'll take the extras, put them out there for the people uh, that aren't here today. But this morning, the seventh habit of believer, the second to last one that we see in life of Christ, uh, number seven, is Jesus didn't make excuses. Now, I'm not talking here about there being reasons for bad or hard things that happen. 
For sure, there's things that happen in your life that are completely out of your control. And uh, when something happens out of your control, that's not making an excuse. Sometimes those things can affect something that we had hoped to do, right? You're driving somewhere, uh, you get a flat tire, you have car trouble. Uh, I've lately been having this thing. I was late to men's breakfast uh, like six weeks ago because emergency brake on my Yukon gets stuck. And uh, they, for the one year that mine is, they had this uh, thing where there's not a, a handle you pull, you push on the pedal. And that when it gets really cold, it gets stuck. And so what you have to do is turn the car on and blow the heater on it so it warms up enough. I need to fix it. And I've just not been using the emergency brake. I've been in the habit of pushing it down ever since I was a teenager when I get out. Those kinds of things, that's not what I'm talking about. But I am talking about uh, you know, when I was just freshly out of college, um, I lived in CUNA with my parents, and I worked in a church in Nampa. And back in those days, if you're familiar with Nampa, this was 2003. It was before they built the overpass over the train tracks there at Amity and whatever road that is. There used to be like a meatpacking plant there. And, uh, man, I found, because we had staffing at a certain time. I don't remember if it was Monday or Tuesday, but I found that a train was always coming through right around then. And if I was just like a minute later than I wanted to, I'd get stuck at that train. I would have to call or text them and be like, hey, I'm running late because of the train. And the first couple times, it was like, oh, a thing happened. But when the train kept blocking me, then it became an excuse. And what I had to do was find another way around the thing, right? But there's a couple natural things that we as humans, we tend to do as we go through life. Day after day, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. One of those things is that we sometimes say we'll do something that sounds awesome in the moment, but we don't necessarily count the cost. Or we don't even know what's involved before we say yes. Uh, my, man, that, my wife, she will do anything for anybody. She will say yes without counting the cost so often. Uh, I remember this one time, uh, Christine, our daughter, was playing bass today. I, uh, I told her I would take her to this concert with this guy named Matt Carney that she really likes and, and I like quite a bit. I introduced her to him, but um, I told her that I would make it happen. The, the show was at this place downtown called The Knitting Factory, and um, I was pretty excited to see it, and uh, she was on me. She was like, Dad, you go. She is here. She was like, Dad, you got to buy tickets for this show. And I was like, she remembers this, I'm sure. I said, sweetheart, these shows never sell out. It's going to be fine. And here's the thing. Uh, you can save money. You might not know this, but you can go to the record exchange downtown, and you can buy the tickets in person, the paper tickets, and you save like four or five bucks a ticket because you don't have to pay the online fee. The thing was, we lived in CUNA, so it wasn't really easy just to pop down there. And I kept putting it off, and I kept putting it off. She would ask me, Dad, did you get those tickets? Like, oh, I'm going to get them, sweetheart. Don't, don't worry. These shows never sell out. Well, guess what? <laughs> it did sell out, right? I, I literally, I called the record exchange because I, I was getting worried. Called the record exchange. Hey, how many tickets do you have? They're like, oh, we got tons. Two days later, I went down there. They're like, we don't know what happened. They all sold. So I had to go find them on the secondary market. These tickets were like 20 or 30 bucks, and I paid like five times that much per. But the thing is, I had promised her that I would make it happen, right? And it came time for me to decide, oh, I'm not going to make an excuse, say I'll take her another time. But we're going cheaper to drive to the next city and get one there probably. But, <laughs> but if it was up to me, I had to make it happen. And I did. I bought them on the secondary market. It was awesome. Another natural inclination we have uh, is to know full well what we are getting into when we decide to do something. We count the cost. We do it well for a while. But then we come up with these reasons we shouldn't do it as time goes by. 
These are just human conditions. I'm saying we, I'm including myself. I'm telling you stories about myself because this is things I deal with. But here is what uh, Jesus says in the New Testament about doing the things that we say we will do. About not making excuses. Just this one simple phrase. Matthew 5, 37. All you need to do, all you need to say is simply yes or no. All you need to say is simply yes or no. This is Jesus talking. If you read the verses just before this, you can see Jesus is talking uh, to the people about making promises that they really never intended to keep in the first place. And it was really common in Jewish culture to, in order to persuade someone to do what you wanted, to swear by heaven, swear by earth, swear on your own well-being. And what Jesus is telling them and what he says to us with his actions is that we should simply do what we say we're going to do. We see in our everyday lives, there's no need to make intricate promises, sell anyone on anything if it's not our habit to make excuses. If we are people who do what we say we're going to do, we don't have to make crazy promises. And there's this funny thing that happens, right? The more that we commit and we follow through with the commitment, the less necessary it becomes to convince anyone of anything. The more times you show up, the more times you do what you said you were going to do, the less necessary it becomes for anyone to ask if you're going to do it. It's important to note right here at the beginning that it is in the Bible that we are to honor what we say. Nobody is perfect, right? Not a single person. I'm preaching about this this morning. I'm not perfect in this area. No one's perfect. But in the time uh, that we know about while Jesus was on earth, we see him model this for us through his actions. We've talked uh, several times lately about how Jesus knew scripture, how he attended the synagogue. The synagogue was the church of his day. One of the ways that Jesus rejected excuses was by gathering with God's people regularly. Now, if there was anyone who could have used the excuse of, I really don't need to go to church. I've heard it all. I've heard everything there is to hear from God. It would have been Jesus, right? I think we quoted the scripture last week and the week before. Uh, the one who simply said in John chapter 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. If there's anyone that could have not showed up at church, it would have been Jesus. And I will say, man, as someone who's worked in ministry, worked at churches for almost 20 years, maybe 20 years now, um, we see this so often. Now, you, honestly, you're probably not the ones to be talking to because here you are on New Year's Day. You stayed up. You saw the ball drop. Uh, you heard the fireworks. Maybe you lit off the fireworks. Maybe you were that person in my neighborhood. <laughs> but it's common for a family to make church a priority until something changes that makes it more difficult. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be legalistic on you. I don't want to bring the hammer on, down on you. That's not my job. There are seasons in life, and sometimes things change for a short time. There are days when it's appropriate uh, to make exceptions. Uh, I missed a Wednesday uh, in the spring or the fall for my son's last baseball game. It was a tournament baseball game. But the Son of God himself gave us this example of being in the Lord's house regularly. And I would encourage you as the new year starts to zoom out a little bit. Right? We get so focused on these little details. I would encourage you to zoom out. Take stock of your life. And this is a key thing. Orient your life around time with God and regular attending church. Orient your life around that. Instead of the other way around, orienting God around the rest of your life. 
Orient your life around God instead of God around your life. Jesus also rejected excuses by doing what was right in the face of opposition. I have a short passage of scripture I want to read with you this morning. Uh, Mark 3, uh, verses 1 through 6. <clears throat> says this. I'm reading to you the NIV this morning. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal, them, heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. It says right there in verse 2 that some of the people there were looking to accuse him. There was a man in the synagogue that day who needed healing. And Jesus knew uh, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they would incorrectly, and because of their legalism, they would interpret this as work that shouldn't be done on the Sabbath even though they would do work to take care of their family on the Sabbath. But even though there was opposition in this case, Jesus did what he knew was right to the best of his ability. Now, he was the son of God, so his ability was he was able to heal the man right there. And when we are in the middle of a situation where we know that something is not right, or we know that something is right, maybe we're in our workplace, or maybe we're uh, in our extended uh, family gathering, that we know that there are those who they are going to disagree with us strongly or loudly. It's so easy to come up with reasons why we should just maybe remain neutral or maybe go along with the thing that we know isn't right just so we don't make waves. And I would guess that many, many of you have faced a situation where you are asked to be dishonest at work. Save the company money, maybe to save face. I think I shared a while back I worked... Uh, for an AV company for a little while, and part of my job was like taking calls when someone wanted to buy something. And uh, man, the markup we had was, was so high. Like, I mean, we were charging people well over double what they could just get it for, and I, could, I was terrible at it. I didn't have that part of the job very long. I just couldn't do it. I'm not saying that you make trouble just to make trouble, because that is not what Jesus was doing. Because Jesus knew for certain in this case, he was doing the will of his heavenly Father, on earth. But we have to be willing to listen to the voice of God in our lives and to do what's right, right? To apply the word of God that we've hopefully hidden in our heart, even if it would be easier sometimes to not. And how this looks for each of us each day is that we attempt to approach each day of our life with God's guidance. Uh, Psalm says, we let his word be a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path each day. Finally, Jesus, he rejected excuses by fulfilling the mission that God had given him. You know, every single one of us, every one of you in this room, youngest to oldest, you have a mission by God that has been given to you on this earth. You are here for a reason. You're on earth for a reason. I'm not even necessarily talking about your daily work, although it is awesome if your everyday work and your mission in life line up. But even if it doesn't, even if you feel like you are really, really far from the job you wish you had, or you feel like every day you get up and you do your thing and you're not really making a difference, 
we must always remember the mission that Jesus gave us in John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's a scripture I quoted back and forth with Patrick a lot of times. If you feel like you've got nothing else of consequence to do in your life, you've got that. The command from Jesus to love one another. Now, if you've got a family that you are a part of as a parent or maybe even a grandparent, you have a mission to fulfill. Consider the fact that two of the Ten Commandments uh, have to do with family, right? Thou shalt not commit adultery, to honor your father and mother. Jesus himself, if you read the New Testament, he was born to an earthly family in the line of David, and he was close to them all the way through his death and resurrection, his earthly family. New Testament, man, if you read it, it's all, there's passages all over the place about godly marriage, about raising your kids in a way that honors God. And you see, if you have a family, then a huge part of your mission is to love that family. And a huge part of your mission, if you have a family in any way, shape, or form, is to lead them to Jesus the best way you can. And of course, the common excuses tend to creep in. Uh, I've lived these excuses. Man, it is too hard to have a family that honors God within the context of this world. Dude, have you heard what goes on at the schools? Have you heard the way they talk in my workplace? Have you seen what happens online? Now, uh, we are way too busy with work and family and sports and everything else that comes up. Or, man, it just seems like I wake up and I do the same thing over and over again. And can I just remind you of Noah in the Old Testament? Right? Uh, in a world that had become wicked, if you go read that passage, he among all men, it says, had found favor with God. It says the whole world was wicked, but Noah found favor with God. He would, of course, you all know this story, right? He would build the ark. In the process, he would save mankind. And, of course, they lived longer in those days. But it took Noah somewhere between 50 and 70 years to build that thing. That's a long time of getting up and doing the same thing over and over again. Dad, what are you up to today? Well, I'm going to go work on the ark. Work on the steps today, son. You want to help? No, Dad, I'll just help tomorrow or next year. But that decades-long grind, it saved his family, and it saved the rest of mankind. And he woke up, he did the same thing over and over again. I just want to encourage you this morning uh, to not feel guilty, no matter how your family looks, whether you're married, have kids, whether you're just a son or a daughter of parents. I just want to encourage you this morning to not feel guilty about putting your family first. Every single day. Don't be afraid to prioritize the well-being of your family over a better job, a bigger paycheck, better schedule. Don't be afraid to say no to things uh, so you can be present for your kids, present for your family. Above all, I want to encourage you, friends, seek God's voice when it comes to your daily routine. Fulfill whatever that mission is that God has given you. And don't think for a second that he hasn't given you one because he has. You see, Jesus, when he came to earth, he had a specific mission. Jesus' specific mission was to be the one and only sinless sacrifice for you and me. And don't doubt it for a second. Jesus knew that it would be difficult and it would be painful, the mission that he was going to undertake. Heaven knows that Jesus had every reason not to do it. 
to just call it and go back to heaven if he wanted because we can be pretty terrible sinners sometimes. Heaven knows he had a reason to bag it because I can be a pretty terrible guy sometimes. But regardless, Jesus fulfilled the mission that God had given him. He refused to make excuses. The eighth final habit of a believer that we see in the life of Christ is simply that Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed. I'll show you in just a moment uh, a little of what Jesus' life in the New Testament looked like when it comes to praying, spending time with his Father. And a couple of things I want to lay out for you first. You see, our modern society, especially in America, it's often completely at odds with spending time in regular prayer, spending regular time with God. Because the mandate we have from the world is that you go and you move up in influence. It's the most important thing you can do, become more important. The mandate that we have from the world is that you go and you make more money. You make more money and you buy a better house and you buy a better car and you buy a better phone. The mandate from the world is that you get out there and you make sure your voice is heard. Don't let anyone overlook you. But can I tell you this morning that even if we attain those things, that if our time with God isn't meaningful, the influence and the money and the notoriety, it will kill us instead of fulfill us. If we are not spending God, those things will kill us instead of fulfill us. And the way we keep from losing our grip in this life is by holding tightly to the one who made us, the one who knows us best, the one who knows our every thought and desire and hope and dream. Like we mentioned a few minutes ago, right? If there was anyone who would have good reason not to pray, it was Jesus. He and the Father were one. But if you read the gospel, you're going to see the gospels, you're going to see this interesting thing about Jesus. It was crazy. The more that Jesus talked about who he was, the more that he did what was right, healed when people didn't want him to heal, the more compassion he had on those who needed healing and salvation, the more intense the pressure on him became. We're going to look here in a moment at Luke chapter 5. And Jesus, he had just finished healing this man born with leprosy. But he tells the man, he heals him, and he tells the man not to tell anyone what had happened. And the reason was because the more publicity surrounded him, the more famous he got, the more difficult it became to accomplish the mission his father sent him for. But after Jesus heals the leper, look what it says uh, in Luke 5, 15 and 16. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. It's so astounding to me that even though Jesus was one with the Father, as it said in John chapter 10, he still sought to be alone with him. So why did Jesus do that? If he was one with the Father, why did Jesus go and be alone with his Father often, it says? I'm certain of one thing. Uh, he didn't need to go ask forgiveness like we often do. But I think it's probably because Jesus needed some of the same things on this earth that we need. And prayer helps us do a lot of things, but I have a few I've just written down this morning. Because you see, prayer helps us to be steadfast. And if there's anything this world needs, it's a bunch of people who know Jesus that are steadfast. 
in a culture that only becomes more charged, a world that only moves faster every day, it's a challenge to be steadfast in the things of God. Psalm 144.1 says this, and it's David that prays this. He says, praise be to the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. I am certain, and this is one of the reasons Jesus went to be alone and talked to God, I'm certain that as the pressure on Jesus increased, his need to pray for a steadfast spirit increased as well. And you see, friends, as humans in 2022, when we pray, God trains our hearts and our hands for the battles that await us each day, each month, each year, each decade, and each lifetime. Prayer also helps to bring peace. We're given this command uh, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 when it comes to peace. Remember, this is not a suggestion. This is a command. It says this. Uh, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, Jesus, he certainly would have needed peace from his father as the spotlight shined ever brighter. And if you read the Gospels, the the more famous Jesus got in his part of the world, the more people started to follow him. And he would have to take a boat out uh, to get away from the crowd so he could speak. And peace in the whirlwind of our everyday, it's something that can change everything for you. When you have God's peace, it can change everything. But as all those who have lived way longer with Jesus would, than me would tell you, it takes spending time with God to find that peace that passes all understanding, that peace that doesn't make sense. Finally, friends, we need to know this morning that Jesus prayed because prayer brings wisdom. Prayer brings wisdom. We've been talking on Wednesday nights about Proverbs. We'll be uh, second half of Proverbs chapter 5 this week. We're talking about how it says in Proverbs that the closer we get to God, the more wisdom we find. One more promise. Look at what James chapter 1 verse 5 tells us. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Who gives generously to all without finding fault? And it will be given to you. See, one of the reasons Jesus went to, to be alone with God was so he could ask him for wisdom. And Jesus, when he withdrew to be alone with his father, he could easily have been making sure that he was hearing God's voice clearly. And friends, when we pray and ask, we just read a simple promise from God that when we pray and ask God, he gives wisdom. It will be given to us. So the question becomes, how do we make it happen? How do we make it so we have a life that, similar to Jesus' life, uh, is full of prayer? As we've referenced, life for many of us is not getting any slower. I always always, uh, laugh at, like, junior hires and teenagers and college kids, and you talk to them, they're like, man, I'm so busy. Got so much to do. And it only gets busier, right? The older you get, the more you have to do, the busier it gets. But I think the answer lies, if we're going to have a habit of praying like Jesus did, I think the answer lies in just simple choices that we make every day. And this is what I found to be true in my life. Simple choices like turning off the radio or the podcast on the way to work. And I know for many of you that is sacrilege. You get in the car, you turn on the music, that's what you do. 
I am that person a lot of times. But also, a lot of times it's a great time to be alone with God for a moment. You can get a lot of good information from podcasts, but God can also speak to you pretty good stuff. Let me tell you, you can pray uh, as you drive with your eyes open. Please don't pray with your eyes closed, get in a wreck, and tell the policeman that I told you to do that. You can pray with your eyes open as you drive, and God is absolutely listening. It's not just the steering wheel that you're talking to. Man, the first moments when we wake, the last moments before bed, those are wonderful times to be purposeful. Ask God for those things we just talked about, steadfastness and peace and wisdom. I can tell you this, on Wednesday nights, if you come here at 7 p.m., we always make time to pray at the end of service. We are going to pray. We might pray together with everyone corporately. We might socially lose to pray on your own. We might break up into small groups, but we are going to pray. We're going to pray because Jesus prayed. And sometimes I know, friends, I'm not oblivious. Um, It feels like God can be far away from the business of our everyday. It sounds great in this room, and then you go to work, and it seems like God's really far away. But I love what Heath Addison says um, somewhere in this book. I encourage you to read it. He says, prayer opens the door between heaven and earth. You want to know more what God has for you? Prayer opens the door between heaven and earth. You see, the eighth habit of a believer we see in the New Testament is simply that Jesus prayed. So uh, this morning, we're going to take a moment to reflect as Pastor Almeida leads us. Um, You should have received when you came in an envelope and a card. All of you should have one of these. There's pens in the chair in front of you. Uh, And I'm going to encourage you to write down some hopes and some dreams. Take that. I mean, we're going to sing for five or six or seven minutes here. They're going to go through this entire song, Who You Say I Am. I love, I chose this one on purpose, who the sun sets free is free indeed. You are a child of God, every single one of you. Uh, As you write things down, I want to encourage you, please write your address clearly on there, okay? Our return address is on there, but please write your address clearly right there. And what's going to happen is at the end of next year, we're going to send them to you. And as you do that, as you reflect on what God would have for you in 2023, uh, Write your address, write on the card, put it on the envelope, seal it. And then sometime during this song, you're going to see me do this as well. Um, I would encourage you, come set it on one of these steps. And when the song's over, we're going to pray over them together. We're going to mail it to you next year. We're going to believe God to accomplish those things on our behalf. Lord Jesus, as we get ready to pray and reflect, um, Lord, I pray that you would speak uh, new hopes and dreams inside of our hearts. Lord, for those in this place that maybe feel like they've been doing the same thing over and over again for a while, and maybe that's what's in store for them in 2023, I pray that you would speak new life into it, new life into their family, new life into their workplace, new life into their everyday. Lord, I pray that 2023 would be a time when you speak new hopes and dreams into them. Lord, for those that may be here today, and when they walked in, they were far from you, but they feel your presence. I pray in this moment that they would whisper a prayer to you. They would ask for your forgiveness of their sins. They would commit their life to you. And they would ask you for hope this morning. Friends, let's just sing and reflect today.